Welcome to Now Playing Podcast, House of the Dead, Retrospective Series. It was a nightmare. So many dead people. So many victims. It all started a few days ago when I came here for a raid. Part of Now Playing Video Game Movie Review Series. I am completely not in favor of doing this. Hosted by Arnie. A good guy, if not a little goofy. Justin. So, what do you really do for a living? I kill zombies. And Stuart. They missed the boat to the rave. If only they decided to stay back in Seattle. And they'd all be alive today. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Come on, you big wimp. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, boys. Lock and load. House of the Dead 2, starring Emmanuel Vajur, Ed Quinn, Victoria Pratt, directed by Michael Hurst. No love for sticky fingers? <laughs> he wasn't in the top build, so he wasn't even an and. Oh, poor sticky. Poor us. Because <laughs> this is the second sticky fingers film we've had to review. <laughs> This is Arnie, the now playing co-host who's not always an asshole. I take Sundays off for good behavior. And Stuart? And this is Justin. Two years is all it took after the original House of the Dead for House of the Dead 2 to be debuted in a film festival before going direct to video. And Sci-Fi Channel premiered in February 2005 on Sci-Fi. That means something at that time, too. Oh, boy. (laughs) This is the result of Lionsgate. The first movie made them so much money. They were back at Mark Altman and like, uh, we want a sequel. How fast can you get us a sequel? And they went, Uva, let's come back. Let's do this again. And Uva said, oh, I'm, I'm busy working on another film. Here are my story ideas. Yes, despite not getting a credit, this is story by Uva Bowl about, I would put zombies on a college campus. Yeah, and his minions. The credited story writers are the same ones that directed Alone in the Dark 2, the ones that I consider my nemesis at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Peter Shearer and Michael Roche. Yes. I've never thought about contacting a real-life hitman, but if they keep making films, I might change my mind. Yeah, they would be the one if I did. (laughs) But this is interesting that they made the choice to step away from Uva. I bet it wasn't a long conversation. Will you come back? It might have been contractual to offer it to him. But they had to be breathing a sigh of relief that they weren't going to be reliving the nightmare that was House of the Dead. So no, instead they get Michael Hurst, who had at this point... I do know that he wrote Mansquito. Oh my god, that movie is just so bad and i wish it wasn't that sounds like it should be fun right corin nemec from parker lewis can't lose as a mansquito but no it's just bad 
He'd also written The Butcher, so now here he is butchering House of the Dead 2, and at least he doesn't have a tough act to follow, right? I mean, after Uva, I'd feel I have no training. I'd feel fine just going in and picking up a camera being like, if Uva can do it, I can do it. Yeah, I can do it better. I agree. Even though it is a sci-fi original movie that had no theatrical release and no love and nobody in it that I've ever heard of before, I want to believe that it can be better than what we went through last week. Not that Michael Hurst is a guy to put your faith in, but all it needs to do is be competent. Not a high bar has been set for this to get under. I mean, this came out corresponding with the fourth installment of the video game franchise. Arnie, you and I didn't play that one. We skipped four, but we did go after that to what is easily the best game in the franchise, 2008's House of the Dead Overkill. That game is so awesome. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It is the first House of the Dead to be designed for the home console, whereas every other House of the Dead has been built for arcade. They built this one for home. You can beat most House of the Dead games in 30 to 60 minutes. Apparently, to beat Overkill is a four-hour run-and-gun experience, but my God, imagine, if you will, a video game that was made out of one of the trailers between the two segments of Grindhouse. And that's what you have here is a black exploitation AMF agent and an AMF agent who's kind of like Kurt Russell going through and jive talking to disco music. They even scratch the negative for the game to give it that Grindhouse feel as you go through and just these complete cheesy old movie tropes of the evil scientist and everything. I feel bad for the programmers. They didn't get the note that Grindhouse flopped, or maybe they didn't care, but I'm glad they made it so much in the style of Tarantino and Rodriguez because it really does give the game a character that it hadn't had before. Like, suddenly, it really felt more than any other game I could think of like you were living inside a B-movie. And since this series is always drawn on that, it was a strength. It's the first one that I felt really focused on story and character. The other ones, the character is you. Every so often you'll go outside yourself and see yourself as a male or a female agent. And in House of the Dead 3, there was a little bit more of it as they'd talk in the elevator and things. But this one really felt character-driven and was a hell of a lot of fun. And long after we'd gotten the flavor of it, you and I just kept playing. And like eventually we're like, all right, well... I guess we need to go and call it a day. We've been playing House of the Dead for like six hours straight. But man, that one was fun. Yeah, and I think we knew the cutscenes were going to be better than the movie we were going to review. But I just want to go ahead and say, if you put the cutscenes together, Green Arrow, it's that entertaining. This sounds like it might have taken a different tact than the old on-the-rails shooting game. Is it still a first-person shooter? Yeah. It is. And you're still on rails. You're still not moving. You're just pointing and shooting. But what makes it better is the soundtrack. I mean, I like Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses. I like the flavor of Grindhouse. I like the first machete. And if you like that kind of stuff and can really groove to it, like Pulp Fiction, grimy, because this was kind of like Vincent and Jules from Pulp Fiction on a zombie killing spree. I mean, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, and they're always cutting wise, like in the games before, in spare moments you were hearing them, but they were saying perfunctory things. Here, there's always a joke when you see the monsters. It's not only like living in a bad movie, it's also 
like dragging along mystery science theater behind you at all points in your ear. It's a good time. It in of itself is a recommendation. Now let's talk about the movie. (laughs) (laughs) We all know that this one was going to be hard, but how bad? Arnie, hit him with the plot. We'll get through House of the Dead too. Well, it's been a few years since the first House of the Dead film, but now Professor Curian is played by Sid Haig. And at first I thought it was supposed to be the same character having aged really badly. Right. That rave. (laughs) (laughs) Rave to the Hague. And he's performing experiments in reanimating students on the Cuesta Verde University College campus, where I'm presuming he's tenured because nobody would keep him hired if you had a choice. One of the experiments goes wrong and he is bitten and soon zombies have overrun the entire campus. 29 days later... AMS agents Jake Ellis, played by Ed Quinn, and Alexandra Morgan, played by Emmanuel Varger, also known as Nightingale, are sent in with a Marine unit. They're assigned by Colonel Jordan Casper, played by returning Ellie Cornell. Oh, good. They brought her back from the dead. She survived. (laughs) Yes, she just is in a wheelchair now. That happens when you lose half your body. (laughs) She seems to be promoted as well. Yeah, Colonel. Well, I guess that happens when you stop a zombie uprising on Island of Death. Well, the AMS's mission is to find patient zero on campus and get a blood sample that could be used to make a cure or a vaccine for the zombie virus. The Marines sent in with these agents are led by Sergeant Dalton, played by Sticky Fingers, and the most notable troops include Lieutenant Allison Henson, played by Victoria Pratt, Private Maria Rodriguez, played by Nadine Velasquez, and Pervy Bart, no rank, no last name, just Bart, played by James Parks. The Marines do help mow down a lot of zombies, and every single Marine is killed, Bart having been turned into a zombie by a bite from a zombie mosquito. Still, Ellis and Nightingale make it to Curian's lab where they find a zombie in a cage. It's Curian's son's Rudy, his girlfriend Alicia, who did get turned into a zombie after the events of the first film. They get Alicia's blood, and Colonel Casper orders an aerial strike to blow up the campus. Nightingale is attacked by zombies, so only Ellis escapes with the blood, only to meet Bart, not as dead as we thought. Bart cut off his own hand, and he's heir to a pharmaceutical empire. With the blood Ellis has, Bart could make billions in zombie vaccine, so he tries to take it by force, but Ellis fights back. Bart is killed, but the vial of blood broke, and the strike blew up the campus lab, so there's no way to go back and get more. But Nightingale comes out still alive, but uncertain whether or not she was bitten by a zombie, and she and Ellis drive off into the night as credits roll. Hmm. So, it's a college film, and I'll tell you, they didn't fool me. When you start with a bunch of guys, some are wearing camo, yelling, ATTENTION! And doing that military thing. Gentlemen, uh, tonight I want to make sure you're fully loaded and ready to go. I'm like, yeah, these guys don't actually look military, even for Uva Bowl's budget. And yeah, it's a panty raid at the ZIT fraternity, and now I know what movie I'm in. And I did look it up. That would be Zeta Iota Theta. All right, so some legitimacy right off the bat is what you're saying? Yeah, well, you know, if there's one thing they got to continue, it's the TNA. 
In fact, that was one of the things in the bonus features last time was that they said, we knew we'd have no problem with the acting, no problem with the script, no problem with the T, and no problem with the A. So here we're getting it right <laughs> off the bat. So if this was for sci-fi, was all this edited out for the TV airing, basic cable? Yes. It was intended for theatrical release. They thought this was going to go to theaters. They said in the commentary, we're still waiting for it to go to theaters, but they did not realize exactly the lack of release this would get. Because this movie does have a lot of full frontal nudity, not just a few nipples through shirts here at the beginning. Yeah, we definitely see all of this co-ed here. Tracy, she's humiliated during the panty raid. She is caught on camera. This is before we had smartphones, so it is an actual camera that she's having sex with a frat brother, and she's so embarrassed that there's pictures that she is walking somewhere and gets run over by our main villain, Professor Roy Curian, the name that we all know from the video game and the name of Rudy from last week. He is running over co-eds to get cadavers for his blood experiments. You say the name we know, it's the actor we know, Sid Haig. He doesn't exactly ooze professor to me (laughs) (laughs) well it's cuesta verde which is a poltergeist joke that was the name of the suburb that was built on top of a graveyard if you're going to get one of the house of a thousand corpses guys to play a scientist i'd go with bill mosley graduated from yale whereas sid haig i've met this man in person if you want to play the Gravedigger in a remake of Halloween, I think you fit the type. If you're going to play scientist who's experimenting, I mean, he's good for scientists who runs over co-eds with cars and brains them with crowbars. Not so much the, I'm going to concoct a formula scientist. <laughs> I don't think Sid Haig is here to sell us as a scientist. I think Sid Haig is here to try to lend a little bit of legitimacy to this horror movie. Don't say that because you haven't sat through the shit I've sat through with Sid Haig back when we did the Night of the Living Dead retrospective series. (laughs) He did Night of the Living Dead 3D about a year after this, and it is one of the most intolerable films it makes both of these House of the Deads look like they deserve not Oscars, but maybe Golden Globes. <laughs> well, on a certain level, it's working on me because we see Sid Haig as a familiar face. You may not know his past work. You may not know everything he's done, but he is a recognizable face. And I'm getting a little excited, like, oh, maybe there's a little bit more of a budget for this film. He's better than Castillo, anyway. I mean, that nameless, bald muscle man was a shit villain. Yes. But he just has no acting chops. He's forever the same guy. Whether I'm watching Creature, Night of the Living Dead 3D, or this, he's Captain Spaulding, right? (laughs) Yeah, and that's why you cast him. Yeah, and he's not here for long. I mean, he's here 
to advance the minimalist version of the plot that we need. But the girl that he is getting ready to experiment on is the same girl, like you said, that we saw having sex during the panty raid. And this was another moment where I got excited, a familiar face of an actor that I know. She was on the bed with Theo Rossi, and I don't know if you guys know him, but he got pretty big because he was one of the main guys in Sons of Anarchy for years. I never watched Sons. Is he a likable character in him? He was one of the most lovable characters there. He was the most human out of a lot of them. He wasn't the main guy, but he was one that they brought on about halfway through the series and they just kept giving him more and more stuff to do as it went on because he seemed to be that likable. So I got excited to see his face and realized, oh, this must have been pretty early in his acting career because we're not going to see him again. Yeah, I was about to say he comes back only to be killed because Tracy is injected with the Castillo blood experiment. And even though it takes Sidhaig a second to realize it works, she's going to get off that slab. She's going to bite him. She's going to start an outbreak that gets the whole campus. We see in the opening montage credit sequence, Cuesta Verde University is going to go down because of her. They completely ripped off the Dawn of the Dead remake with these opening credits, right? With uh, showing the montage of the zombies attacking the cameras and all of that and chronicling in montage the downfall of civilization. I'm having a real problem with the art direction, though. These fonts, I mean, you know you're in trouble if I'm (laughs) complaining about your font. Yeah, I was just about to say, how nitpicky are you going to get? You're on the font. I mean, what is it? Justin, what font is that? Is it Times? It's not Times. It is definitely a stylized 90s feeling font. At the end of the 90s, people started getting into different typefaces and started making them cool and distressed. And this one feels of that era. So that makes it about 10 years too late behind its time. It looks bad. It actually looks like visually a step down from the previous week. I actually like this opening more. I think there's a sense of fun and playfulness that I want to be down for a zombie attack on a college campus. But things look so bad here. The sets, the lighting, the font, anything visual is just so horrendous that I'm... How can you be disappointed in the House of the Dead too? I am. I'll agree with you. Last week, we had a little bit of a disagreement because I thought that that film looked okay. It looked worse in daylight than it did at night, but I thought it looked okay, and I thought it looked really good when they did the Matrix stuff. Here, this does look like they went to Best Buy and bought the best Sony they could to film this entire thing. Yeah, it's ugly. Yeah, the sound design, I mean, there's so many scenes where you can tell that there's one microphone in the room, and they're trying to pick up everybody throughout the locker room with that one mic. And lame new metal, all of this is bad. It's ruining what should be a really fun introduction. You know, we see the football team going down, a librarian going down. There's stuff to enjoy, but I can't because they don't have enough money. And there were a couple extra scenes in there. There were deleted, more of the librarian talking about how kids don't like books these days. They just like their video games and their pornography and... So you're going to enjoy seeing her die more, but not really needed. I do think this is more like the game, though. Once we finally get into it, for one thing, they're going to center the story around the AMS. They were these random MIBs in the last film that showed up in the last five seconds. And here, our main characters should be Nightingale and Alice. This is the right choice to have people whose job it is to hunt down zombie outbreaks and cover them up before normal society gets wind of it. 
I'm getting a real X-Files type of vibe off of these two, or at least that's the effort that they're putting forth. Yeah, she's made a little bit more important. They have some fun here where there's this French restaurant and she's on a date with a guy who claims to be a neurologist and he's called away by a phone call. We're led to believe that he is going to be our main character and we are not anticipating that this beautiful woman would hunt zombies for a living. But she's actually going to go into the kitchen. There's a zombie outbreak happening there where the French chef has gone outside with a plate of filet mignon to have his smoke break and got bit by, I think, Sid Haig. Yeah, it was Sid Haig. Yeah, somehow he's wandered all the way over here from the college campus. How did you get that he was French? I didn't pick up on that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Jacques with the head and the very, very loose accents. It it was so subtle. It was. (laughs) But you know your movie is cheap when you can't afford Sid Haig for the whole film. This is the end of Sid Haig. We never even get to see him killed. You didn't stay for the stinger then, I guess. All right, we still never get to see him killed. It was just an outtake from here. But... The lead here, Ellis, they only hired him because he looks like Bradley Cooper, right? Like, spitting image. Like, I wondered if this was an early Bradley Cooper role. (laughs) He does have a Bradley Cooper vibe to him, but he also has a little bit of a Judd Hirsch vibe to him, too. Like, a younger Judd Hirsch. These are unknowns to me. I guess she was in Saw 2 and Saw 4, and he's gone on to do some TV work. These are actors of some note, and you can tell. They just have a star quality that is higher than any of those teens from the last film. Really? Yes, absolutely. They have more screen presence, I will say that. Yeah, without question. You know what? I think I'll agree with the Marines. I think the Marines are actually much better than the teens we had last time. But I don't get much off of Ellis. Nightingale is pretty good, though. I'll give you that. She has a hard seed to carry later on that we'll get to. And I think she does an okay job with it. So Ellis, I just never think he's that good. I don't get anything off of him. Okay, we're not shooting for good. We're aiming for better than House of the Dead (laughs) 1. And he's very much that. Yeah, I mean, he's just here to project machismo against this frail-looking woman who ends up being kick-ass and smart. It's just a visual juxtaposition for this movie. And they're answering to a familiar face. Somehow she lived. Jordan Casper was chopped in half in the last film, and now she's in a wheelchair giving orders for these AMS agents. Continuity, right? She's not walking, at least. (laughs) In this point, I am absolutely shocked. I didn't pick up on Sid Haig's character's name and tie that back to the original movie. None of that connected with me. Seeing her here shocked me so much that we're getting a part two in a series that actually is going to tie to, or at least reference and understand that part one existed. Technically speaking, they were written by the same person. The producer wrote the scripts of both, The script was thrown out last time because of Bull. Bull's not here, so I think we're getting more of his spirit. I can tell a difference. I think this is more like scary movie funny than ooh Bull funny, and that is an improvement. I hate to say it, but this movie's sense of humor and its style, it's going to basically follow the boilerplate of Aliens that work for those Resident Evil movies, we are going to have a better story this time than we did last time where people were running from docks to houses back to docks. So what you're telling me is if I gave you the choice of an Uva Bowl retrospective or a Wayans Brothers retrospective, you'd sign on to the Wayans. Who wouldn't? <laughs> 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 I, 
don't know. Little man's looking pretty harsh. <laughs> I'll agree with you that there are definitely a lot of jokes here. The fact that we jumped 29 days later, all I could think about was that bad 80s comedy Saturday the 14th. Remember that one? Yeah, I mean, it's jokes in a certain style for a horror comedy. Always a suspect genre. That's a real rarity that someone can get the balance of horror and comedy right. Here, they are definitely going with very broad jokes, but some I liked. Casper is going to say that she is putting them under the influence of a colonel, Sticky Fingers, who answers to the chief of staff, who answers to the president, who answers to the vice president. A Dick Cheney joke. Is that what that was? I thought that the screenwriter might not be American because at the end of the movie, they make another reference to the vice president being the top of the food chain. And I thought maybe the, the person who wrote this thought vice was above president. Oh, if you listen to the commentary here, the writer constantly is going off about how liberal he is and how he's expecting complaints from the commentary. There must be at least 10 times he jokes about how he hates Republicans and hates George W. And all of this is completely intentional. Okay, see, that's a joke that totally would have landed on me at the time, but 10 years on, it's in the past, and I'm kind of forgetting, like, oh yeah, Dick Cheney jokes. You mean kind of like using Paris Hilton as target practice? Mm-hmm. I mean, I honestly had to be like, who is that again? What Kardashian am I looking at? Oh, wait, it's the proto-Kardashian named Hilton. It tells us how much we've changed in the last 13 years, that we can completely forget about the Bush administration. And Paris Hilton. But there's so many references here. I caught the ones I could, but they're talking about about this college being outside Sunnydale. Sunnydale is the town from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the series. Last time he was inserting a bunch of Trek stuff. Here, they're going all after every type of horror pop culture they can, down to Leprechaun, back to the hood, bringing in Sticky Fingers. <laughs> Sid Haig even has a clunky line mentioning Alone in the Dark there in his monologue when he's explaining to himself what he's doing. I don't know if that was a reference to Uva's film or if they were just saying that's what you'd be doing had this actually been released theatrically. <laughs> yeah, a scary movie was a thing. This was a style. It was popular for people to riff. References have really become the dominant form of humor in this day and age. We have so much media, so many things, that if you've seen it, that in and of itself feels like a godsend, a laugh, like, ah, someone else knows my pain. They know that thing or that thing that was so silly. For some people, if you know these references, it can be delightful, it can be fun. You always want to be careful. I would advise anybody, don't make it a movie about references. It works for Family Guy. It's a TV show about references. A, a series I don't like, but I agree, has been very successful at doing that for <laughs> decades now. I would say the primary reference they're going for is Aliens by way of Resident Evil. This feels like a Resident Evil movie, which always ripped off Aliens. What's really funny is hearing the writer talk, he was a generation below that and didn't even realize it. He said, what I'm really shooting for is Starship Troopers. Wow. Well, maybe with the humor. I could see that he was trying to do something Vorhovian <laughs> with the TNA and the comedy mixed with, you know, what's supposed to be gory and bloody. And I don't know if scary is ever approached, but I do think there is a darker, scarier intent here. This feels more like you're headed into a world that could be frightening as opposed to House of the Dead in a rave, which always felt like a joke. Still, going to a college campus full of zombies right after seeing a panty raid scene 
does not make it feel dangerous. It makes it feel, I mean, last podcast, I was talking about Revenge of the Nerds, and now it makes me feel like that's what these guys are walking into. Well, also the conceit, the unspoken conceit that somehow it's only this campus and this campus is somehow isolated from the rest of society. That's the problem that they need to take care of. I mean, they park a mile and a half off a campus in a park and they walk slowly through this park to get to campus. You're right. It's got a darker tone, but it's also not paying attention to details that might help make the fear factor feel more real when we actually get there. I don't know how scary a Resident Evil movie is. I mean, again, that's mostly just about doing the action. But the boilerplate is we have overconfident, macho team of soldiers who think we've never fought a zombie, but we fought everything else. We should have no trouble taking control of this campus. And very quickly, they're humbled. We have one guy who pulls out ninja moves. His name's Nakagawa. So, of course, he's a ninja, right? <laughs> and he gets bit, and Sticky Fingers thinks the best way to handle it is, well, just amputate. We don't have to shoot him in the head. That leads to more deaths, more problems. These guys, it's really their story to learn that they're not tough like the marines and aliens they're outmatched but it's funny to me how quickly they adapt to the one bite you're dead philosophy that goes with zombie movies because yeah here it starts off really funny sticky's like get this man a tourniquet and obviously ellis is really concerned he's like Get him a tourniquet and a bandage. And I can't tell how much is intentional humor and how much isn't, but they shoot him in the head and the Marines don't flinch. Initially, when Ellis pulls the gun, the Marines pull the gun back on Ellis and you think that that is going to go somewhere. But now the Marines very quickly sign up to every zombie movie rules. You bit, you die, and you'd rather die with a bullet than die by turning into one of those creatures. I don't know. Sticky Fingers wants to insist after he gets bit that he's not going to turn he's doing a bruce campbell there later when they get him he's like i'm fine no you don't have to kill me <laughs> well he's blade right i mean he would be blade next year on spike tv's tv series blade can't be turned into a zombie right and hey i'm gonna appreciate that this movie at least unlike the first one is gonna set up and follow zombie rules the idea that if you get bit you're going to turn. And sure, the characters have to learn it on screen, but that's something by now that pop culture people know. So you can't have a zombie movie without setting up at least the rules and then maybe playing around with them a little bit. So we get that out of the way pretty early here. Again, don't think horror. They're really not going for that. You can tell from that early French restaurant scene, the way that these two AMS agents are talking to one another as they're shooting and getting covered in blood spatter, but they're really talking about their relationship and all of that. This is camp. This is parody. They know that this is silly. And really, the whole point is just to, scary, isn't it? But surprise, jump scares, action, things coming at you that you're not expecting. That's what they're going for. But I like their, to use his reference, Starship Troopers here. The people on the Marines team. I really like Rodriguez. She doesn't get much of a role. I found it really interesting that it was supposed to be a guy, Rodriguez, and they couldn't find one. And you can always tell that it's a well-written female role when it could be a guy. It's not anything stereotypical. They cast it with this female. She shows up in the early scenes and hears Ellis talking about how these grunts aren't ready for any fights. And she 
gives it back to them. And here she gets some good scenes. Like she's finally getting back on a college campus and that she is the private who's going to really give a point of view to their characters. And she gets saddled with the worst of the bunch. Bart is, by his own admission, he's an asshole. And he is taking him and Allison Henson, who I think outranks him, but is taking orders from him. They're going to go off and he's going to be stealing from corpses, answering cell phones and flippantly telling people, oh yeah, they're dead. I think he's doing the Guantanamo thing. If you remember all those people that got in trouble taking pictures and disgracing prisoners. Oh yeah, the human pyramids. Exactly. What he's doing here with the zombies with, this is my new girlfriend, take a snapshot of it. This is payback for all of that. He represents the worst of American and hubris in times of combat. He is over-the-top despicable, and it's on purpose, and at some points, it's almost unbearable. You know, I mean, he could dial it back a little bit and still be completely slimy. And if you didn't know this was written by the man who wrote Mosquito, he is taken out by a mosquito. I, at first, thought that was really stupid, and I, second of all, didn't think about Mosquito. But then I went back and I played some House of the Dead some more, and I was shooting zombie frogs and went, wait a second. If there's zombie frogs and there's zombie dogs, there should be zombie mosquitoes. And I thought that was actually a clever way to, with zero budget, bring in the zombified animal trope. Yeah, and to get him. Like, he thought that he could handle everything, but yes, he's unprepared for this. I do feel like they're all unprepared. It's shocking to me that if they know that this is a bloodborne virus that is causing zombies, you would think they'd want to wear masks and rubber <laughs> gloves and all of that. I don't know if its production value wasn't available to do that, or that we're supposed to think that they are just macho and arrogantly thinking they don't need to take preventative measures. That's the number one thing that always bothers me in any zombie movie or TV show is we're always supposed to be concerned about being bit or scratched because that's how you get infected. But they're never ever concerned about killing a zombie and getting the blood on their face, yeah. in their eyes, in their mouth, and it's constantly happening throughout this movie. Oh yeah, Ellis gets a shot that like goes completely in his mouth. And I I'm thought like, for sure he'd turn. Mm-hmm. And maybe he will. I, again, it, they, they play a little bit loose with whether these characters do all escape or not. And did you guys see the big Blade Trinity Babes thing on the wall there? It was a magazine cover about Jessica Biel and Parker Posey. <laughs> I did notice that that whole room felt very set PC. I mean, there was some McFarlane sports picks figures along the wall and some action figures on the shelf. But yeah, I was, I was almost having more fun picking details out of the background than watching what was happening on screen. This was a girl's room. I was confused by that. What's the significance? When I saw the movie, I thought it was saying, hey, we're talking about horror movie babes, and we've had nothing but babes in this film, most of whom have shown you their nipples, either through a shirt or not. But it turns out the writer we've been talking about who did this, Mark Altman, his production company owns Femme Fatale's magazine, who also does the Cinema Fantastique magazine. Now, I don't think either of them are printed anymore because print really died hard in the past 10 years. But back when they made this movie, it was a way for him to get a horror in-joke reference and promote his own magazine. But the character you like, Rodriguez, ultimately her heroic moment is to tell Bart, we're not going to take these blood samples to Big Pharma. He thinks he can make money out of it. Robin Leach money out of it. I don't know if people know that reference. <laughs> 
But she is saying no. They chain him to a radiator and then she gets killed. The Marines go out way too easily here. And in the end, none of them really matter. They are here so that we can elongate this story, quote unquote, on a plus. It feels like a video game. What is my mission? My mission is to go in, find Zombie Zero, retrieve the vial, and escape. That is totally a video game level setup. And when playing a video game, as Justin will attest, it's really more important that you're having fun getting there and that the game is fun than that just the cutscenes are fun. But... In the converse of that, when you're watching a movie and not holding the controller, having such a threadbare plot just as an excuse so that you could have the Marines shooting a bunch of zombies all over campus does not entertain very well. And that's all they're here to do is to give us action scenes on the football field or, yeah, in the college dorm. In the library, endless hallways, room after room. You're right. There's not a much going on here except for watching these guys get picked off one by one. But they are following zombie rules. I do see case in point. They get to the library and they're like, zombies don't read. The guy in the corner there that's hovering over a book, he must be a survivor. Well, the fact is, zombies do what they did when they were alive. He was a nerd in life. Zombie nerds are going to still go to the library and read. And zombie librarians are still going to shush. They took that from Dawn of the Dead and that whole mall culture. They're showing more respect for Romero in House of the Dead 2 than House of the Dead 1 did. And eventually they find this Day of the Dead style chicken wire cage in the basement where all of, I think, campus has been locked up. That two security guards before they turned locked them all in here. How? (laughs) I would rather see that movie. I would literally rather have, you know, Tucker and Dale versus evil. Mm -hmm. I want you to get me Alan Tudyk and Tyler Labine, put them in security guard outfits, have Tucker and Dale as campus security, try to get all the zombies into this cage. I want to see that. (laughs) But again, it happened in Aliens where all the colonists were under the nuclear reactor. It happened in Day of the Dead. It's just part of the tropes, and they're happy to relive all of these tropes. The House of the Dead series does not pretend to innovate. It is only recycling what we know and presumably what we love about the zombie and horror genre. And yeah, it's about this point where some of the things start to become apparent and obnoxious in this movie. While I appreciate them following the rules for the most part, they do other things you wouldn't do in real life, you wouldn't do in a real movie. You walk into a room, you see a bunch of zombies behind you, and you just keep your back turned to them. You know, they're constantly unaware of their surroundings and only paying attention to what the shot is paying attention to. Yeah, cliches is essentially what you're saying. There's this one guy, Griffin, wanders off on his own, he hears something, and then, yeah, turns his back on a zombie and jumps him. They feel like scenes we've all seen before. I guess all I can say is I feel like they're better staged. I can tell what they look like because the people behind the camera are willing to be more patient than Uva Bowl was. Yeah, I mean, they're getting more coverage. Yes. It does not feel like we're missing huge parts of the story right. the way that we were with that film that they even admitted in the commentary. I mean, you could tell by watching, but it's just straight up, we did not 
get it. We didn't either film it right or we never filmed it at all. Here, everybody is progressing point A to point B. They did fool me with the Bart thing when he shows up at the end again. But beyond that, everything is proceeding in a logical manner and they're doing what horror movies should do. There were too many Marines to start. And I think it's not a bad idea to start a horror movie with just a few too many characters so that you can whittle them down. I would rather have great kills than a lot of kills, but I know that there is a contingent of horror fans who rate their movies by how large the body count is. So you bring in a big troop of Marines, you kill off a bunch of them quickly, and you narrow us down to the ones that matter. At least you're now telling me the ones that matter. Right. And the ones that matter are the two AMS officers, Ellis Nightingale, and this blonde Lieutenant Henson, the one that was with Rodriguez, that chained up Bart, and who is the only one still alive in that exchange, they're going to come together in the climax to go into the science lab. First, we have to have Nightingale explain why she's called Nightingale. It's a joke on Florence Nightingale that was given to her when she was in Africa. You know what? This scene, I'm watching it, and... Yes, I'm thinking of Phoebe Cates and Dad trapped in the chimney and gremlins. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then I'm still watching the scene and I'm like, you know what? She's pretty much pulling it off. You know, she's not Phoebe Cates bad. She's not Quint from Jaws good. But she's pulling the line there where I don't hate her during the speech. And so that's good acting. Yeah, well, she doesn't have to cry about her dad being stuck in a chimney in a Santa Claus suit either. I mean, <laughs> she essentially, she had to euthanize a whole lot of people that were infected like Ebola. They were spitting up blood and all she could do was euthanize them. And then euthanizing them and doing so, it just meant that the stuff that was in their blood made them come alive again. It's kind of a little more horrifying than the Gremlin story, but... Yeah, I agree. She does it okay. And she clearly saw Resident Evil. She had a moment where she's going to run and jump on pipes and electrify the four. And it felt like a Mia Jovovich move. Yeah, none of the leads here are doing a terrible job of acting or delivering lines. Some of the Marines are pretty stilted and a lot of the lines they're given to recite just sound like somebody has seen a movie about the army, but has never really experienced the army. It just feels that rote. But yeah, th these main characters, they're doing it for me. You know, I'm not offended by their acting or lack thereof. Yeah, it's overall a stronger B picture than we had last week, where we couldn't make heads or tails scene by scene what was going on and who we were looking at. And eventually we look at a character from the last movie. I couldn't believe it. But yes, the mystery that they teased about this secret room in the science lab is Alicia. She is patient zero. That when Rudy apparently took that helicopter flight back from Island of the Dead, he handed her over to his school teacher father, Sid Haig, <laughs> and they performed... <laughs> blood experiments on her in the basement of Cuesta Verde University, and it's just mentioned in passing, she killed Rudy. So that's what happened to Rudy. I missed that dropped line. I was wondering what happened to Rudy. I just don't see the actor who played Rudy 
being the son of Sid Haig, that mother must have been freaking hot. I don't get it. At least I'm appreciating the choice here to tie the two movies together. Especially if the plot of this one is to find Patient Zero or a first-generation walker so that they can create an antibody to it. I can appreciate that if that's what we're looking for, then yeah, you're going to have to acknowledge what came before and where this all started, which was that island from the first one. You have to think that the screenwriter was pretty mad, right? I mean, I would be pretty mad if I wrote a script that got thrown away and it became House of the Dead. It's one thing if it throws away and it's The Shining by Stanley Kubrick. Okay, well, you're a genius. You can throw away my writing. I respect that. But yeah, Uva bowled my script over. And so, yeah, I do think that Mark Altman is going to insist on certain plot points continuing over. There was even a moment earlier on, if you remember, their boss, Casper, was like, your last mission sucked. And there was no point to it. I felt like there was a subtle joke on the first House of the Dead. I feel like this was the way the screenwriter could say, yeah, please ignore the fact that the last movie was bad and just join us for this one. I'm trying to make the House of the Dead movie that fans of the video game will like. And I think he gets there closer than Uva Bull, but is it enough? Well, so far, to me, it's it's definitely keeping me more engaged than that first movie, just for the simple reason that the characters are easier to distinguish from one another. Yeah, that is definitely a plus. And again, as they're whittling them down faster and faster, it becomes better. And yeah, across the board, they are better performers. And it's a simpler plot in that we're trying to get in and get out. There's only one time that this movie heads into House of the Dead 1 stupidness, is they get down there and they find Alicia and they get the blood. And then they leave and they call in an airstrike. It was already called in. They knew that they had this time frame. And then they break the blood. And so they have to go back in to get more blood. And as I said (laughs) in the blood summary, they're going to break that too. Yeah. This zigzagging back and forth is like, let's go to the house. Let's go to the boat. Let's go to the house. (laughs) Yeah, that's one thing that Altman must have written from the first one that he got to keep in this. For whatever reason, doubling back and back again seems to be a trope of his. Yeah, but it's a good ticking clock to know that there's a missile that's coming. They use that in Return of the Living Dead. They use that in Aliens where there was the base was going to explode in a nuclear explosion. You want to create the sense that they've got to do what they've got to do. Otherwise, they could just keep going back, right? We'll just keep going back to the science lab until I can finally get the vial out without it falling to the ground and breaking. Sure, but a little bit more of a competent screenwriter could have given us that same plot point, but maybe having us find a different version of Patient Zero and that vial getting busted, and then them discovering the lab when they had to go back. That's exactly it. They don't need to go back to Alicia. If they already shot her in the head, her blood's not alive, I'm not sure that it would be good for them anyway. I mean, may I don't know. Maybe after they take it out. I don't know. I don't know how it works. I'm not a fucking genius like Rudy was <laughs> last movie. But I do feel like you're right. We have a plan. It got thwarted. We need to come up with a new thing. The fact that they have to go back to the very same basement and get the very same blood from the very same patient feels like redundancy they don't need. But it does get them on the football field with some zombie football players. It does lead to this very prolonged scene of, I have to be on the other side of the air vent to let you in, and so I'm going to cover myself in zombie blood. That football scene, it just felt like 
the joke from Beetlejuice because you've got the zombies in full football gear acting like footballs. The way they're like, coach, I don't think we made it through that crash in Beetlejuice. It's like they're taking that a step further. But when they're fighting the football players, I'm a little bit checked out. I'm like, God, now we're on football players. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And that's why I was hoping they were going to play around a little bit with what we know about zombies and maybe just start pushing these guys over or have a scene where they're really close to getting bitten, but they can't get to them because of the face mask. I mean, why have zombie football players still wearing their helmets and not do anything with that? I guess they felt like they did do something. There was a scene where we see it's mostly for Henson to show off for Laura Croft or Alice Rudd. Like she runs out on that field and does flips and kicks and quasi bullet time. It wasn't quite bullet time, but I think it was a moment to remind you that this is a Resident Evil clone. But did they take full advantage of it? Did it become a major issue for you? It's about as as exciting as Mia fighting those zombie dogs, or at least that's what they're hoping. Yeah, it didn't work for me here. I just... It was no zombie dog. Yeah, and at this point, it's just feeling like another set piece as we're doubling back. Right. And honestly, I don't expect better from a House of the Dead movie or really a video game movie. I'm expecting rote plug them in scenes where you are just watching people do acrobatics because I don't think that you're going to innovate in a adaptation of a video game that was only copying old horror movies. I just don't think they're going to do that. I will say this. I would rather have the football backdrop than not have it just for no other reason than it is a visual difference from the basements and hallways and parks that we've been seeing so far. I feel like the thing they didn't take full advantage of is you could mock campus life and youth culture. Like, what is it to be on a campus? They could have done more with, if these zombies are doing what they did when they were alive, you could have played a lot more parody on 2005's average college student. But no, that's, we just don't have a movie that's that good. And so it's just about getting the vial of blood and getting out of there before the missile hits. And, of course, just like the last one, we're going to have that. The explosion is hitting just as we get out. and We all have to fly from the explosion that is quite obviously a stock effect. (laughs) And only Alice, we believe, has gotten out. We kind of figured that the special forces chick, she gets bit. She makes a big grandstanding statement about, well, at least make it count. If I have to die, make it worthwhile, take this blood vial and take it to a lab and make sure no one has to die like this ever again. Oopsie. (laughs) But I thought Nightingale would live and they teased the idea for a little bit that she didn't. Ellis has to fight Bart on his own. Yeah, he leaves her under a pile of zombies in the commons area there while he goes out to fight his own crowd of zombies outside. Yeah, that Bart is still hanging on. He cut his arm off both to get out of the radiator and possibly stemming the infection, although it doesn't seem to have worked. I think it's more slow acting because it was only a mosquito, but he is very much infected and he very much is going to take that vial that Ellis has worked so hard to get and take it to people that will make a... It reminds me of Paul Reiser in Aliens, the guy that wanted to profit from the evil. They're doing those notes so many times. I don't understand why he's in the Marines if he's so rich. I mean, when he gets bit by the mosquito, he offers the two female Marines a whole bunch of money to let him out and starts talking about his pharmaceutical fortune. No, 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 no. He's not rich. He's planning to sell it to the pharmaceutical company 
and then get paid. Oh, I thought he already was rich and then wanted to get even more with this vial. I didn't get that impression, but I think he had delusions of grandeur. He thought for sure very soon he would be... All he was focusing on was how rich he was going to be because he was going to take advantage of this situation. But no, Nightingale comes back and plugs him, and we're left with a reference to Carpenter's The Thing. Are they infected or are they not? We have a very ambiguous drive-off into an uncertain future where it seems like, yeah, these guys didn't do their job, and now the whole world will be infected. Yeah, nothing is resolved. <laughs> I actually don't give a shit if she's bitten or not. I'm assuming she is, because she was in quite a zombie pile. If not a single zombie got a too thin, and especially since, theoretically, the blood can infect too, I mean, I'm pretty sure she's going to turn. I don't really care because I'm not invested in this movie at all. The climax made me roll my eyes a little too hard with the vials of blood. And this Bradley Cooper wannabe can just shoot her in the head in the truck. I don't know why they get in the truck. I think they should do the thing. I didn't put that together, but you're exactly right. They should just sit there and wait and see if she turns instead of being in close quarters with a zombie. Yeah, but they want to give you that final shot, which is a major metropolitan city. I'm not sure which one, but the closest large urban area is decimated. And so we know that like Resident Evil, this can go all the way around the globe and become a post-apocalyptic action series. If anyone will give them money to do a House of the Dead 3. And it was planned. <laughs> Mark Altman envisioned this as a trilogy. Oh, goody. And the third one did get made. Oh, Whoa. I almost thought we'd have to add it. But before I talk about that, Justin Stewart, do you recommend going into House of the Dead 2? Justin. All right. This one was obviously more entertaining and easier to watch than the first installment. It felt a little bit more competent in its filmmaking. And overall, it was quicker of a watch. Like, I felt myself not zoning out, not getting too terribly bored, even though there were a lot of scenes that felt redundant and there was a lot of things that they were doing that just kind of pissed me off when it comes to zombie rules. As far as like just ignoring things going on around them, climbing out of a pile of zombies and acting like you didn't get bit, stuff like that's going to bother me. But I'm going to judge this movie a little less harsh just based on the time frame. This movie came out before The Walking Dead took over the world of zombies. And it was doing some things well before The Walking Dead did them. The idea of taking the guts out of a zombie to put them all over your body to mask your smell so you can walk amongst them. That's something they did on Walking Dead. And it seemed pretty clever then. So I don't see why it's not just as clever here. I got a Walking Dead did it in the comic in 2003. Oh, was it in the comic from there? Uh-huh. Okay. So when I saw that, here was my thought process when I saw that. Oh, they're ripping off The Walking Dead. Oh, The Walking Dead came later. No, The Walking Dead TV show came later, Arnie. If this happened in the comic. Oh, so they're still ripping off Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> at any rate it was the first to do it on screen as far as i know ripping off a comic series that wasn't quite at the height of its popularity yet maybe they thought they were getting away with something only to later be caught but what it comes down to is if i had to watch either one of these two movies again i'd probably watch this one i'm hoping that i don't have to watch either of them again <laughs> but last time i was afraid when we went from an uva bowl movie to a sequel without him because it just went way off the rails and you end up burning the DVD in your backyard. So doing it again scared me. 
So I was somewhat pleasantly surprised to even find out that this movie tied together with the first one, had a coherent plot that could be followed. It just didn't really live up to anything. At the end of it, nothing was resolved. Maybe they're teasing a third installment. But at this point, I don't care. I don't care about the characters. I don't care if they feel like there's more story to wrap up here. I'm just done with this series. So... I mean, I'm going to have to give it a red arrow. This one isn't even any closer to a brown arrow than the first one was, but it was more competent. Stuart. I can be kinder. I, I think I can even be a little bit hyperbolic because I've seen a lot of bad zombie movies thanks to now playing. And this is not one of the worst. I mean, you <laughs> can make the case House of the Dead 1 is among the very worst zombie movies. This is clearly better than Diary of the Dead or some of those Living Dead remakes. It's the best sci-fi movie we've ever reviewed. Ooh, um... I mean, I'm I'm open to hearing a, a valid contradiction, but the best thing that Uva Boll's name has ever been on? Is his name still on it? Did he get a producer credit? Yeah, it was Bull Productions at the beginning. Yes, he definitely was. All right. I mean, I think that we ought to just keep in mind perspective and say, wow, to come from the absolute dregs to where they're at, this is competence that should be applauded. But I'm not going to make the mistake I think you did, Arnie, with Tekken and say, because they're making a mediocre, low-budget piece of trash, that's good. This is not a good movie. We We know what a good movie is. This is not it. It is a better movie than what it came from, but it is still clearly a red arrow, not in any way near a brown arrow. It's not funny enough. And that's where I'm going to damn this movie and actually disagree with you guys. Yeah, this film is more competent in so many ways than the last one, which to me makes this movie so much more boring than the last one. Yeah, yeah. The last one I could look at and I was really on that line of Brown Arrow because I was laughing at that movie. I was laughing at the filmmaking and I also admired a couple of its technical proficiencies. This one, I don't know what the budget of it was, but it feels like despite Liasgate being like, we have to have a sequel. They also said, and we have to do it for half the money Mm -hmm. (laughs) because there's nothing in this movie that comes close to touching Uwe Boll's 10 minute montage. Now that was overindulgent and should have only been three or four minutes at most, but Nothing here looks that good, and nothing here yet is as bad in the dialogue where you wonder if the script was written by a native English speaker when you get to, why do you want to be immortal? You know, it's just terrible stuff that kept me engaged. Here, it's better than Rave to the Grave, but I felt I was in that same Mm. arena. Yeah, it's unpleasant. Yeah. No one wants to go through this. (laughs) So in that way, I actually think it's less enjoyable so it's definitely a red arrow i mean none of us ever were thinking of green no never but the fact that i wasn't thinking of brown at all either makes me say if i'm ranking these i'm gonna rank one a little higher for it's so bad it's good factor so you were missing uva bull you wished he had made time taken that week and directed this film i hate (laughs) to say this but both films we've reviewed of Uva's were better in my mind than both sequels made from those films without him. Yeah. 
Wow, that, that is, I mean, when you look at Alone in the Dark, I get it. But I try to look for confidence. I try to look for people doing their job. I felt like Uva Bowl was the immovable object and a lot of talented people making a competent B-movie last time. To see it end up to be a competent B-movie, that's why I want to celebrate that. This is better for that reason. But it doesn't have as many laugh out loud. I can't believe they said that in the voiceover. Absolutely not. And the best premiere on sci-fi movie, Beyond Reanimator. Had to look it up, see what we reviewed, but Beyond Reanimator is better than this. <laughs> and I don't disagree with most of what you said, Arnie, except for maybe the liking both of Uwe Boll's movies <laughs> better than the sequels. But I guess what it comes down to me for me is if a movie feels like it's trying to get a brown arrow and it fails at doing it, I'm going to ding it harder than one that's not even trying to do that and just failing as a movie. But both failed. Just one failed in a funny way. Yeah, I think we need to underline that all things connected to Uva Bowl are really terrible. Sometimes there are moments and scenes that make us laugh they're that terrible. But yes, it's a river of shit. Yeah, rather than watch either of these, I'd rather watch House Party. I'd rather watch House Sitter. I'd rather watch The House. And that's shit. That Will Ferrell piece of shit. What about House 4 with the killer pizza? Yep, better. Okay. Big Mama's House 3. Oh, now. Like father, like son. Man of the house. Okay, you're being ridiculous. House <laughs> Arrest. Remember House Arrest with Jamie Lee Curtis? Yes. I know I'd someone rather watch it. that. Yeah. House Bunny. That is not a good movie. Rather watch it than either House of the Dead. And you're telling me there could be more. There was more. They made the sequel and called it something else. Yeah. Part three. They had a script and Mark Altman said it's a completely different approach to the material than the first two films. Well, you know, House of the Dead 3, the video game was post-apocalyptic. Is that where they took it? No. 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 But then what was said was, well, we're not going to call it House of the Dead 3 because Sega is not releasing anything the new House of the Dead games on home consoles. If there's no home console release, there's no tie-in benefit. But in 2006, very soon after this, mm. came the Dean Cain starring movie mm. Dead and Deader, like oh. Dumb and Dumber <laughs> with zombies. Oh, he wanted to be funny. This guy wanted to make jokes. Yes, he went complete horror comedy it did premiere on sci-fi channel in december of 06 mm. it's about a special forces squad investigating a medical outpost in cambodia okay and get attacked by zombies Ooh, i feel like i had a near-death experience we could have been up for another one of these sons of bitches <laughs> this sounds really close to being a house of the dead three movie yeah and there's a guy who is one of them turning into a zombie and it was directed by a first time director and it had more in jokes. Like at one point, Dean Kane is trying to escape from a cooler and somebody says, can't you use your heat vision? Because no. he was Superman. He'll, always, he'll only be remembered as Superman. Yes. What was the deciding factor? Because I see Ellie Cornell was in that movie as well. Like, if she would have played the same character, what if we had to sit through this? <laughs> and who is she having sex with to keep getting his hurt? <laughs> Maybe Mark Altman. <laughs> yeah, I think she might have been. I think he keeps doing it just to bring in Star Wars people, because it had Armin Shimmerman, who played Quark in Deep Space Nine. 
<laughs> well, we joke about what could have been, but it still could be. I do know that even as of two years ago, there has been talk about rebooting this franchise, even picking up the story strands with Jonathan Cherry. Rudy from the original film wants to come back and do it since he didn't get the chance to do it in House of the Dead 2. I saw that on IMDb that it was rumored that he would be in House of the Dead 3. But what I'm hearing more and these rumors are two years old that they're going to reboot House of the Dead. Yes, there is interest. There's that new game. And you know what? If they made a movie Mm. based off of that last House of the Dead game overkill if they made house of the dead overkill the movie now playing or no i would be in theaters for that if they stick to that kind of feel and give it a little more money than they gave the second one you don't feel like the zombie genre is like on its last legs for now i think it's shambling but i think it could get sped up again i mean it just takes the right movie to reinvigorate and really zombies and we talked about this with land of the dead they're really a metaphor for the times and i feel that after 9 11 the zombie films were ready to come back they really came back hard at a time when american audiences were ready to look at teeming hordes of mindless people going again and to really discuss political situations and where we are right now with the world i think that there are allegories that zombie movies could make yeah i I certainly wouldn't write off a whole genre based on this film but (laughs) yeah i'm glad to take a break i'm glad there's no house of the dead three i'm glad we're going to the movie theater even though i'm not exactly sure if i'm going to like venom It's better than either movie we've reviewed the past two weeks. I'll say that. It's better than either House of the Dead. I've not even seen it. I'm iffy. You know what? I was so excited for this. You're the Venom fan. You love Spider-Man. I was going to say it's a property that is held more dearly, so the stakes are higher. Not really, though. I mean, I... I'd be fine if it was competent, is what I'm saying. As I won't be offended, because I already know they're not doing Venom right. When it comes to adapting Venom from the comics, this is already strike two, because there's no Spider-Man, there's no spider on his chest. But I could go with a good anti-hero movie thing if it worked. But man, that last trailer, its last moments of jokes, just... It felt Catwoman to me, so we'll see how that goes. But I think there's an acclaimed movie we're reviewing in the middle I can at least look forward to. Because our patrons voted, and overwhelmingly voted that we would review The Witch. (laughs) It is The Witch. I don't know why they spell it with two Vs, but it's The Witch. From two years ago, it is a period piece, Arnie. I want to warn you. I got to say, I only saw it once. It's a horror movie, but it's also a a drama and an an allegory. It's October. We're going to call it a horror film. We're doing Dario Argento witch movies. It seems to fit. I'm certainly glad it won. And there'll be a lot to discuss this Friday for patrons. If you can donate and become a now playing patron, you're going to hear a very interesting discussion about one of the most acclaimed genre movies of the last several years. And don't forget, if you're a $10 patron, you also get all of our silver level donations. So if you're not a patron currently and you donate, not only do you get to hear every patron exclusive podcast we've done we're getting up to 20 of those but you also get suspiria inferno and mother of tears those are temporarily available as long as we do this donation drive and then 
next month added to that for $10 patrons phenomena and Suspiria's remake. So it's a lot of movie reviews for $10. When we started off, it was like one review, $10. But now it's like you get 25 reviews for $10 per month and a new one every single month. I'm sure a ton of people are going to be interested in our November review where we're doing Apocalypse Now. Yes, there are good stuff we could never work into the main feed that I get to talk about. And Apocalypse Now is a big one for me. We'll be covering all of that. There's a lot to being a patron that I hope people find value in. But if not, thank you for just listening to our show. We will talk more video games and Uva Bowl in two weeks. Yeah, I just want to say especially thank you for listening this long to this show, to <laughs> listening to us talk about House of the Dead 2. Thank you, patron or not, thank you for sticking it out. Yeah, and there's more to come. Uva is going to go postal in two weeks, and he's going to shoot down all his critics in a madcap comedy based on a video game I've never heard of. I have heard of Postal. It was another one of those controversial games. Yeah, I... It was made to be controversial. Clearly. I never played it, but I knew of it, so I'm curious. I just hope we don't watch so much Uva Bowl now that we're recording in the same studio, Stuart. I don't want you to go postal and just start shooting up the place because of the movies we're watching. You don't think it's affecting you and your daily life? <laughs> I think anyone exposed to this material for a prolonged period of time is definitely in danger of that. I keep wondering why I'm binge-watching like Igmar Bergman films in between. I'm like, just so... I, I need to balance the shit by just diving deep into the artsy side of the pool. That's right, because the worst thing that could happen is for us to become immune to Uva Bowl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, exactly. We need to get through it, and so we shall. If I pick up a gun, it will only be aiming at more of his work in the weeks to come. So... Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me. Listeners, thank you for listening to us, and I hope you'll join us next week for Venom. And until next time, game over, fucker. listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. See you on hell, boys. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Did you hear what I said? It works. I'm going to live forever. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. What part of shove off didn't you understand? And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other video game movies, including Super Mario Brothers, Warcraft, Doom, Resident Evil, Alone in the Dark, Need for Speed, Street Fighter, Double Dragon, DOA, Dead or Alive, Mortal Kombat, 
It came from the desert. Tomb Raider, Tekken, Rampage, Wing Commander, Final Fantasy, Prince of Persia, and more. Even now, you hold the secrets of eternal life within you. And you hold on to them, keeping me alone in the dark. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. You've tried the rest. Now try the best. Do you want to continue? You got yourself some sort of hearing disability? I ask you a question. Insert money now to keep playing, now playing. We've got your back. Just make sure you got ours. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. You will encounter steep resistance. Not everyone will make it. But for the ones that do, this will be a day long remembered. Long remembered, sir! You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Have you looked at your paycheck lately? Sounds like a good deal to me. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. A tight ass like you probably enjoy being eaten by me. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month, plus even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. How much? $300 out there? Oh, about 600 mine. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. Zombies don't read. They ain't hooked on phonics. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. You should take a look at this. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. You created it, Ozzy. You could be immortal. Why? Now Playing's video game retrospective series is edited by David and Arnie. So sorry. I don't know what to say. Don't say anything. We've all lost people we love. Won't be the first and certainly won't be the last. Now playing credits read by Brock. Just love the sound of your own voice, don't you? Pretty much, yeah. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Way to win friends and influence people. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. This entire mission was a waste of time. We lost a lot of good men out there. 
Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Sometimes a mind isn't a terrible thing to waste. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2018, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. See you around, Slugger. No. You won't. Emmanuel Vagier. Emmanuel Vagier. Emmanuel. Five. <laughs> People are going to think this is a porn. <laughs> Manuel Five, alone in Paris. <laughs> Emmanuel, alone in the dark. <laughs> Michael Hurst, who had at this point done Pumpkinhead 2, maybe? No, that was after. Oh. This got him Pumpkinhead 2. I thought they made Pumpkinhead 2 and it sat on the shelf for eight years, but who's to say? Oh, wait, no, he did Pumpkinhead Blood Feud. Pumpkinhead 2 sat on a shelf forever. Pumpkinhead 2 is the one that had uh, Soleil Moon Fry. Fry. Pumpkinhead <laughs> Blood Feud did, had Amy Manson and Lance Henriksen. Oh, so it's a part three. Yeah. Oh. If we ever do the Pumpkinhead series, there's like four or five. I wasn't aware. And I think this one was directed to sci-fi as well. <laughs> He'd also written The Butcher, so now he'll butcher some zombies with Alone in the Dark 2. At least he doesn't have a hard act to follow, right? It's House of the Dead 2. <laughs> you keep uh, confusing the two. Not Alone in the Dead. Dark. No, Alone in the Dead. <laughs> I'm just creating new awful hybrids. House, House of, of the, the Dark. dark. <laughs> but here he is butchering House of the Dead. <laughs> hey, was it House of the Dark? Fuck. It's like not only seeing a bad movie, it's like having mystery. Se- it's like having mystery theaters. Mystery. It's like ha- it's not. He got pretty big because he was one of the main guys in Sons of Anarchy for years. I thought you were saying he's got pretty big because he had that woman straddling him. (laughs) I mean, it would just be real genius zombie edition. You had to get that in. I did. I really did. (laughs) Well, congratulations.